everyone, it's Cassie with A Happy Thinker. Thank you so much for listening today, and I want to advise you that today's episode is an extra long one. So if you don't have the time to listen to it, pause this episode and play it back later, because this is one you'll want to listen to from beginning to end, and I don't want you to miss a minute. Thank you so much again, and I hope you love it. Hey, my friends. Today's episode, I am going to touch on some topics that are sometimes a little bit taboo for some people, but they are on harder emotions, harder things to deal with than just our regular everyday feelings and our regular everyday thoughts. Things like depression and anxiety and fear. I'm going to talk about how they link together, how you might be going through them now, and that you're not alone. I want to start off by saying that I myself have experienced both clinical depression and clinical anxiety. I understand what it feels like, and I am there with you. I would not be here today if it weren't for some incredibly amazing people in my life, many of them that have helped me cling to their words even when I myself didn't have the energy, ability, or drive to be able to move or push push past what I was going through. So if you're in that spot where you're dealing with some major anxiety or major fear or major depression, just know that if you can't hold on to hope, hold on to mine. And if you don't have people in your life there to help push you through and hang on to their words even when you can't hang on to your own, hold on to my words today and just know that I can be that person for you. If nothing else, just hold on to my words even if you can't believe them, just take my word for it. Okay guys, so I want to start off by saying that there is a major difference between clinical depression and anxiety and just anxiety and depression. Now the thing about that is, is that medical professionals don't have a specific diagnosis for neither anxiety or depression that they can pinpoint and say, yes, you have clinical depression, you do not. The only correlation between the two is a repetitive thought pattern over and over and over again that is thought so many times that it becomes habitual in the brain And by becoming habitual in the brain, a chemical reaction starts to happen. It's like a little server error that a computer would have over and over and over and over again until the point that it becomes like like something that would infect the computer and keep it in that state. It's the same thing with our brain. Our brains are just little computers trying to solve problems, and it's the same thing. So a certain thought pattern that you've thought over and over and over and over again becomes a behavior or it becomes a belief or if it's like a server error if it's something that is super negative or something that is super scary or super anxiety filled and you've thought it over and over and over again a chemical reaction can happen in the brain and when this happens it becomes clinical and because of that anybody and it doesn't matter who you are what status you have whether you have an incredibly happy life or an incredibly sad life, whatever it is that you're going through, it does not matter who you are or your status quote of any kind. Depression and anxiety and fear 
can grip anyone in any state and any walk of life. There is no shame in if you've had anxiety or depression and it's become clinical, or even if you've just had it on the regular. I want you to understand this does not make you defective. This does not make you broken or something that needs to be fixed. This is simply something that happens because of a thought pattern. Now, that is not to make it any lesser or make you feel like it's not any more real, the feelings that you're feeling, because they are incredibly real. It is very interesting because most people who have never experienced depression or anxiety think it is a form of sadness or sorrow or panic. Now, anxiety can feel panicked and depression can feel a bit of sorrow, but in reality, depression, real clinical depression, actually feels like a deep emptiness, feels like a void, um, a lack of emotion, a numbness, an inability to feel emotion, or even have the effort to try and get out of depression when it's gotten to a certain point. Sometimes depression can get to the point where it has gotten so bad that the person doesn't even have a want to stop being depressed, not because they don't they don't want to themselves, but because they feel such a lack of emotion that they don't even have the will. That's why it's incredibly important that if you're in that place to simply believe what you know is true, not what your brain is telling you is true. So what you know is true is somebody trusted that you trust before your depression, hang on to their words. So if their words are, you can keep going, I am here for you, it is not hopeless, you are not useless, you do not have to give up because I'm holding your hand. If those are the words that you're hearing from someone trusted, then those are the words you need to believe even if you yourself do not believe them. Hang on to their words. Hang on to their truth even if your truth does not match because your brain is continually having a server error over and over and over and now a chemical reaction is happening. Now, some people might start to question, well, did the chemical reaction happen first or did the um, thought pattern over and over happen first? doesn't matter. does not matter at all. It's important to just understand that if you're having a depression or anxiety is also the same. It's a negative thought pattern or a chemical reaction. It doesn't matter which one happened first, but one results in the other. So negative thoughts over and over again, which in this time period where we're going through a lot as a nation, where we're going through a lot in the world, as we're humans going through an incredibly chaotic and unpredictable time, there are a lot of negative thoughts running around in the world for people and being spread all over. I understand if you're having a lot of anxiety, and I understand if you're having depression, this is why I'm making this podcast today, because if you can't take anything else away from this, just understand that it does not make you defective. It does not make something wrong with you. It simply is something that these negative thoughts in the world, these negative thoughts in your own brain have started to cycle over so many times that it has caused a physical and chemical reaction in your body and in your brain. That's it. That's it. That's all that's happening so there's nothing wrong with you and it also is not weakness and it there is no shame in feeling the way that you feel I simply want you to know that there are people here to help
So hold on to these words today, and I hope you can kind of understand how it works and what you can do to help yourself. So you're depressed or you're anxious. The question you need to ask yourself, even if you don't have the drive to do anything, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? There are things you can do to help yourself. Even if it's clinical, there are things you can do that even if you don't want to help yourself, you can do that to help the ones who love you. And even if you can't feel their love, just know that they do love you. All right, guys, let's jump into some of the ways both anxiety, fear, and depression kind of connect to each other and how they can kind of be a ripple effect and cause like a train reaction of chemical things from each other. Let's talk about the differences between fear, anxiety, and depression. So fear. Fear is a lesser emotion than anxiety or depression, but fear can become anxiety and fear can also become depression. So that's why I've decided to include it today in the descriptions and in this podcast is because I want you to understand that if you're experiencing a lot of fear, that can also result in your anxiety and that can also result in your depression. Fear ultimately is always trying to keep you safe. The emotion of fear was designed to keep you safe. Now, in the life that we live now, there's a lot of things that we fear that aren't putting us in immediate danger. A lot of times, our brains don't know the difference between a moving car and the fear of potentially letting someone down. In our brains, chemically, it is the same reaction. Even though those are very different types of fear, they are the same kind of fear in our brain. So, for instance, if you are afraid you might get sick because of the pandemic, It is the same fear as if a lion were chasing you right now. Your brain cannot tell the difference. Even though you're afraid of a possibility, you're not in immediate danger by simply thinking about getting sick. So, it's important to understand this difference in your brain because of fear. So that when your brain starts to have these negative thought patterns over and over of fear that might turn into anxiety or might turn into depression, that you can stop your brain in its tracks and remember the fact that you are not in immediate danger in all situations. There are times in which you might be in immediate danger. If someone were to pull a knife on you or a gun on you when you're walking down the street, that would be immediate danger. When we're talking about the pandemic, if you were in contact with someone who's been sick, that would put you in immediate danger. But the possibility of being in contact with someone who's sick or the idea that you might get sick isn't immediate danger. Very important to distinguish the difference, even though your brain chemically cannot distinguish the difference. So if you're having a lot of fear surrounding this current world situation. Just know that only about 10% of your fear is needing action. Our bodies naturally go into a state of action when we're afraid. We either take a fight or a flight. 
So if you're scared of getting sick, the possibility of getting sick or the possibility of your loved ones getting sick, your body is going to start to try and react if you're not babysitting your brain. So if your body starts to try and react from fear, you will go into this mode of, I have to stay in my house. I have to make my kids stay in my house. I, la, 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 You can fill in the blank <laughs> of all of these things that you feel like you should be doing. You're fighting or you're, or you're trying to run away from the current circumstances. But remember, as long as you are taking the proper precautions doing a lot of washing your hands, sanitizing everything, staying six feet away from people, staying in your home when you can, making sure you're staying safe and you're taking good care of yourself and your family, that is enough and you should not have any fear past that point. When I say should, what I mean is that it is an ability to alleviate if you're doing all of those things then you can tell your brain when it's afraid, I am doing everything necessary, this is just an emotion, and I can handle an emotion. You can handle any emotion, no matter what it feels like, it's just a sensation. If you stop and think about the way an emotion feels physically, it is just a sensation. It is simply our brains interpreting fear that makes us feel so panicked. Okay. So now we know what fear is. Fear can lead to anxiety when left unmanaged. So let's say you didn't think about maintaining that fear and you've let that fear cycle through your brain over and over and over again. You constantly think about all the things that could go wrong, all the things that are going wrong, and all the things you can't control or all the things you feel like you can't control. And you start thinking about all of these negative thought patterns and you become incredibly afraid. When you are incredibly afraid, you start to bottle all of it up because your body does not know how to process all of that fear. It starts to panic and this panic leads to anxiety. Something interesting about anxiety and that is different from depression is that anxiety puts you in a state of movement, in a state of problem solving. Your, your body jumps into anxiety and says, okay, we got to fix it. When you're in depression, your body says, I have no energy to fix it. We're not even going to do anything about it. So those are the differences between anxiety and depression in that small regard. But chemically, they're kind of the same reaction. Anxiety is caused from over time your thought looping over and over and over and over and over again through fearful patterns. So if you're incredibly afraid of a lot of things going on in the world, you might be starting to experience anxiety even at moments you might not expect. So something happens in the world and you hear about it on the news and then you get anxiety. Interestingly enough, that's not the only time you can get anxiety. 
if you're starting to have negative thought patterns over and over and over again, anxiety can pop up randomly, even in calm situations and you have no idea why you feel anxious. It's similar to the body's reaction to caffeine. When you've had too much caffeine, you feel fine in the moment. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden you have this huge sugar rush, this huge caffeine rush, and your body is like jittery and panicked and sometimes like very paranoid and all of these things that you can't can't control. Anxiety can do the same thing. You can panic and have no idea why you're panicking, simply that you're panicking. These kinds of reaction to anxiety can be almost clinical if they happen a lot over time. So if you're experiencing anxiety, do not feel ashamed that you're experiencing anxiety, especially if you're experiencing it a lot right now and it's becoming more of a clinical than just a regular anxiety situation. Just know that it means you're not dealing with your fears. You're letting them bottle to the point to where your brain starts to burst with panic because you don't know how to process your feelings. So the first step with anxiety is learning that it is the fears that are causing anxiety. It is not actual circumstance that causes anxiety. It is your fears. Actual circumstances may be happening but it's the way in which your brain is looking at it that the anxiety is caused by. That doesn't mean it's not real or that your feelings aren't real. Feelings are definitely real. But just know that when you start to deal with your fears, your anxiety will lessen. Now let's say you're already in anxiety. We will dive into that. If you're already feeling the anxiety, when you're having anxiety attacks, or you're having extreme anxiety, there are a couple things you can do to help alleviate your anxiety that can help settle you and calm you a little bit once it's already happening. Now the goal is to try and reach your anxiety before it gets to this point, but once you're in this point, that doesn't mean you're past help or it's hopeless. Simply means that you need to take more drastic measures to take care of it. And your brain is already in the state of trying to solve your problem because it's freaking out. But sometimes when you're freaking out and you're having this panicky feeling, your brain does not even know how to handle it. If you've ever seen somebody in an extremely fearful situation, like for instance, if they can't, let's say someone is in the middle of doing a transaction at a bank and the and the bank is being robbed. In that situation, when someone is gripped with fear and panic, they may not have clear concentration to be able to know what to do. They just don't know what to do and they're panicking, so therefore their brain can't think clearly. The same thing can happen when you're having an anxiety attack. So it's important to know how to handle the anxiety before you get there so that if you ever do get to an anxiety attack even if you can't think clearly you know the steps so it's always good to try and like write this down if you know you have um the chance of panic attacks or if you're prone to panic attacks attacks or ever had one before i myself have had an anxiety attack before when the panic attack and i know what it feels like so i understand this feeling and i definitely want to give you some things that helped me Um, these are not from me. These are things that have been studied and researched that do work. Everybody is different. So some of the things that might work for one person don't always work for another. So it's important to have a variety of tools at your disposal. 
Okay, so a couple things you can do once you've already gotten to the point of anxiety and you need something in the moment of an anxiety attack or a panic attack are... So the first thing is reconnecting with your physical surroundings. If you're in the middle of an anxiety attack or a panic attack, you are up in your own brain, you're up in your mind and your mind is taking control and you lose connection with your physical self. So to focus solely on the physical instead of the mental will bring you back to being able to think clearly. How you do this, you can do it several different ways. So for instance, in the middle of a panic attack, if you were to put your hands in cold water, instantly your your body is going to notice the cold water. So you just simply focus on the sensation of putting your hands in cold water. Holding ice does the same thing. So if you have ice accessible, holding ice, that feeling will bring you back to a physical. And if you focus on that feeling of holding ice, the physical sensation versus the feelings and emotions up in your brain, you can start to reconnect physically. Another way to do this is smelling strong scents. So if you have a very strong, and I mean very strong, candle, simply smelling the candle and thinking about simply the smell can bring you back to awareness of physical and so using all your senses in this is very important some people need all of the senses in order to bring themselves back to a physical connection i myself am one of those people when i was having an anxiety attack a few years back the only thing that brought me back was something that a dear friend had taught me that a physician had taught her was to simply be able to name off and go through physical connections of all the senses so name two things that you smell in the room where you're at or in the place that you're at right now and think about those things name two things that you see right now in that room name two things that you feel are you sitting on a chair are you laying down do you feel the air on your face do you feel like what is it that you feel name two things that you hear i hear someone typing on a computer i hear someone driving past i hear a chair squeaking i hear whatever it is you physically hear name something that you taste what do you taste right now do you taste more than one thing Sometimes it helps for you to taste a strong food at that very moment and name all the things that all of your senses, your hearing, your sight, your touch, your uh, taste, your smell, all of your senses, make sure you're naming off all of your senses and physically connecting instead of being up in your emotions and in your thoughts. Reconnecting to yourself physically can bring you out of an anxiety or panic attack. That is the only thing for me that really worked when it came to my anxiety. Another thing you can do if you're thinking a little more clearly than that far gone in your anxiety is to do a thought dump or a thought download, which is to get a piece of paper and literally pour out every single thought that is coming across your mind, even if it's not a clear one, even if it's not a full sentence, even if it makes no sense, pour out everything you can on a piece of paper. Don't think about what you're writing, simply write it down and just keep writing until your mind feels clear again. This can be incredibly helpful because sometimes anxiety and even depression is 
caused by having too many thoughts up in our brain and us not being able to physically make sense of the emotions we're not processing. So that's where the thought work really comes in in play here when it comes to our anxiety and our depression. The more we're able to understand and process our emotions all the way through, feel the emotions we feel, and then try to work to change our thought patterns, the more likely we are to be able to handle anxiety and depression when and if they do arise. So maintaining and managing your mind is important on all levels for your mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but also to help maintenance so that when things do arise that are overwhelming, like crazy things in our world, you have the tools and the tricks and know what you can do to help yourself. Know what you can do about it so that you're not feeling like you're completely helpless And even if you are feeling like you're helpless, you can know that you're not. Um, Another topic I kind of just want to touch on just for a moment is medication or therapy or any kind of assistance with the treatment of clinical depression and anxiety. There's nothing wrong with taking medications, seeing a therapist or a doctor for the things that you're experiencing. I want you to understand the only person that can make that decision on whether that's the right thing for you is you. And if you're having trouble feeling the drive or the ability to reach out for those things, call anyway. Go to a physician anyway. And if you're feeling a lot of shame, just remember it doesn't mean that you're broken or you need fixing and that medicine or that or that therapist also does not confirm that you're broken or that you need fixing. It's simply you choosing to do the thing you know could make the difference. If you're scared of medicines and scared of the reaction or being addicted to medication, talk that over with a physician and a doctor. There are many other things they can do other than medication, and there's nothing wrong with reaching out for help. The only person that would know exactly what's right for you is you. So if you're having trouble because you are in the middle of anxiety or depression, just know there are other resources that a doctor or a physician can help you find other than just medication. Know that that's not the only option and there are others. Continue to make sure you advocate for yourself on this and make sure if you don't have the ability to do so, you find someone who can. A trusted friend, um, a spouse, a relative that can have your back and advocate for you. Just be clear on what you want and what you don't want to that person. Okay, so now that we've kind of touched on some things we can do with anxiety, let's jump into some things we can do before anxiety or depression starts happening to help manage this. I'm also going to dive deeper into depression and the effects you can you can start to do, things you can do when you're in the middle of depression, not just anxiety. Something else you can do for both anxiety and depression or just overall fear. In fact, I advise this for anyone who is doing thought work. I've discussed it before in other podcasts, but it is incredibly 
useful and beneficial to people with anxiety or depression. And in the middle of an anxiety attack or in the middle of depression. Also, before anxiety happens or when you're starting to feel depressed but you're not quite there yet is to do a thought download or a thought dump. So take out a piece of paper, literally write every thought in your brain at that current moment. doesn't matter if they make sense. It doesn't matter if they're full thoughts or if they're fragmented thoughts. doesn't matter if they're words. doesn't matter what they are. Just literally write down everything in your brain on a piece of paper and do not stop to think about what you're thinking about. Just write every thought that comes to your mind in that current moment down on a piece of paper until you start to think clearer or until you have no more thoughts to think. This can be really difficult if you've never done it before, so practice is always good. But in the middle of an anxiety attack, this can kind of literally empty your brain of any feelings or thoughts because it's all on paper and you can then start thinking clearly and be able to take some deep breaths. Same thing for in-depth depression. If you write down everything that's going on in your brain, sometimes this clears enough space for you to feel like you can take a breath and think a little bit clearer. Don't look back at this paper, by the way, if you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or fear. Throw it away instead. This gives you the ability to clean the slate of everything that you wrote down instead of rehashing it over and over again. Remember, depression and anxiety can start that chemical reaction by thinking negative thoughts over and over again. So there is no point in going back over what you wrote. Instead, just throw it away. So during an anxiety attack, something important to remember and something you can do during one is to remind yourself that you're having an anxiety attack and accept that that is the truth. Sometimes accepting this can feel shameful or it can feel even worse. You think that resisting the fact that you're having anxiety will help you be able to control it. But in fact, this is a natural emotion and chemical reaction in the body. So resisting it makes it worse. The better option is to simply say to yourself, so I'm having an anxiety attack. But then remind yourself, but it is simply a feeling and emotion. I am physically okay. I am physically safe. You can say this out loud or say it in your brain, but to accept that you're having an anxiety attack can then take off the pressure to be able to deal with it. You can't deal with something you haven't accepted. So it's important to accept I'm having an anxiety attack. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me, but I am safe and I am physically okay. By reminding yourself this, you can take a few breaths, and that is actually the next thing I advise you to do. There are many breathing techniques. You can look them up online if you'd want, but there's a few of them that definitely help. One is rotating nostril breathing, where you take your thumb and index finger, and you put your thumb on one nostril. As you put your thumb on one nostril, you breathe in through the other side, and then as you breathe in, and have taken a deep breath in, you put your index finger on that nostril that you breathed in and breathe out through the other side. Then breathe in through that side, close it with your thumb and breathe out through the other side. This 
meditative exercise can stop you thinking about your thoughts and instead focus on what you're doing. Because it takes so much focus to pay attention to breathe in and out the proper way, this can reconnect you to your body. This can also help you calm down and regulate your breathing. And by regulating your breathing, you regulate your heart rate and get yourself to calm down. There's many other breathing techniques that you can try, but this is one that I know for myself has worked in the past. Another thing that you can do is simply to take a walk after you've learned to calm down your breathing. Taking a walk is very beneficial because it gets the blood flowing in the body. It gets the brain being able to take in oxygen by getting that blood flowing and it can actually help calm you down but it's important that you get your breathing under control first otherwise you're going to continue to panic yourself so those are some things you can do Um, meditation is always a wise um, solution to these problems as well meditation can help with both depression and anxiety meditation encourages deeper breathing which encourages blood circulation and flow in the body this can help the body start to regulate the chemical imbalance that is happening in your brain okay for depression this is the things that i advise these are cognitive behavioral therapy techniques there are several of them you can look up cognitive behavioral therapy and how effective it has been on treating depression and anxiety but depression mainly it's important to know that cognitive behavioral therapy is also an option that a physician might suggest to you. And it might involve you going to a therapist, but not for therapy sessions. Instead, more for working with thought therapy. These are some suggestions and it may sound a little scary when I say cognitive behavioral therapy, but honestly what that means is being able to rearrange your thinking to make it more positive on a normal basis. So even if you can't feel good or feel things, your thoughts are still happening. So changing them to more positive thought patterns ultimately can help you feel better as well. This is something I talk about a lot in my podcast in general. My past two podcasts are really good ones to start practicing if you're going through a lot of depression. Because if you can't feel anything, sometimes you don't realize that your thoughts are like feeding into that that numbness. Because numbness in and of itself is a feeling. Hopelessness and emptiness is feelings. So if you can't feel anything technically or think you can't, your thoughts may be the culprit. Not to say that the chemical reaction isn't happening in your brain already, but this can help at least give you some motivation to be able to start the process of healing and getting better. Journaling your feelings and tracing them back to your thoughts. So... I've talked about this in my past two podcasts, and I highly, highly advise you to go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Compassion for Self Changes the Thinking is one of them that I suggest for this. And so I'm not going to jump deep into this specific solution, but this one can really help you be able to pinpoint where your depression might stem from the negative thought patterns that are playing over and over again for you. 
All right, the next one is finding opportunity to think more positively. So what I mean by that is if you're walking into a room and the first thought in your brain is this is an ugly colored wall for a room, that's a very negative thought and it may not seem like it's any harm it's just the thought about a wall color but it's your first thought is a negative one not a positive one so finding opportunities even small ones to think more positively can change your thinking overall it can make it a behavior instead of just habitual thinking so when you walk into a room instead of automatically thinking this is an ugly color for a wall practice small moments to think more positively so walk into a room and make yourself list three things about that room that are beautiful three things about that room that you like or if you can't even get to that point if you're feeling very hopeless and very helpless and you can't even think of things as beautiful or happy or things that you like think about things that you think are not ugly you know that's not as far of a stretch And do the same with every opportunity you can find. If a negative thought crosses your brain, find three things about whatever that thought you just thought that counter it. Even if you can't jump all the way to happy or like or beautiful, jump to the opposite of whatever you're thinking. So if you're thinking that's ugly, think about, well, that's not ugly. That doesn't make it beautiful, but that is a little bit easier for your brain to swallow and can also start to change your thinking to be more positive. Find opportunities to do this. You walk into a room with a mirror, you see yourself and you think, ew, if ew is your first thought or if yuck is your first thought, instantly jump to three things that aren't yuck or ew about your physical appearance, if that's what you're thinking about. Or if you see other people and are instantly gripped with fearful thoughts that are feeding into negative depression, then think three positive thoughts that are believable. You know, they don't have to be jumped to daisies and roses, but that are believable to you to counter. Another suggestion is similar in nature, but instead when you're feeling a little bit better, So if you have a moment or a day that you feel better than another, sit down and write self-statements that counter negative thoughts that you have already been thinking. So this is where the journaling your feelings and tracing them back to your thoughts is very helpful because you can kind of already see the thoughts that you have thought that led to a certain feeling. So by doing that and already kind of knowing what you're thinking and being aware of what you're thinking, you can write out self-statements that counter the negative thoughts. So if you have a negative thought about yourself that is, I'm useless or I'm not worth anything, something like that, you could write a negative counter thought is... I'm not useless and then give yourself moments like specific moments in which you weren't useless like I was able to get up and make breakfast or I'm not useless I have been able to smile today or I'm not worthless 
and then and be honest even if you can't come up things with yourself ask somebody else and they can give you a a positive counter to your negative thought then write it down and by writing it down every time when that negative thought comes back up if you can remember it awesome and then say it to yourself but if you can't remember it find that sheet read off that that counter to your negative thought and repeat it to yourself by doing this it automatically corrects this behavior and this thinking process and can be very beneficial another thing you can do if you're having severe depression is at the end of your day or before you go to sleep visualize the best parts of that day so if you're having trouble feeling anything positive, you're not going to think anything was good about your day and you're not going to think anything was awesome or beautiful or wonderful about your day. You're going to feel very numb. But that's why you don't have to jump all the way to awesome, wonderful, beautiful. Jump to visualizing the best part. So if that part, one part in your day, let's say lunch was good, okay? If lunch was better than anything else in your day, even if it wasn't great, even if you can't even jump all the way to good, but it was better than anything else in your day, visualize that and then be grateful for it. You can do the same, let's say if you're having severe depression and things don't even taste good, the nap you were able to take because you couldn't do anything else was nice. Then think about how nice that was and be grateful for that moment. So in depression, if you're having trouble even getting to good or great, think about that was better than the rest of my day. So there are moments in which your day is better, meaning that there's potential and hope for it to get better. This reminds yourself. So remind yourself by acknowledging these small moments of hope that gives way to to know that there is more to life than just this feeling that you're feeling, this emotion that you keep cycling back through, which is emptiness and hopelessness. And the last thing that I suggest to you is remember to accept bad feelings, thoughts, and situations do arise in life. But if we take a perspective that that doesn't make life overall bad, then that can help us understand that just because we're in this season of depression, we're in the season of anxiety or the season of fear, doesn't mean life in general is anxiety, is depression, is fear. And also remember, your brain is not you. Your brain is a part of you, but it is not you. It does not define your worth. So when your brain is telling you negative things, servering back through that error that's causing a chemical reaction, that does not define you. So remember, we have the solution within ourselves. Sometimes we need extra help and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But just remember there are things you can do. It's not hopeless, it's not helpless, and you are not alone. Okay, my friends, thank you for listening to The Happy Thinker today and hanging in here for this extra long episode. But it was incredibly important that I tell you everything that I felt was incredibly useful for me and could really maybe help you as well. I am so grateful for your support and your listenership. 
And you can find me on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Chromecast, and so many other platforms. And I'll talk to you very soon. Bye.